Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Arsenal Cannon Podcast Extravaganza uh, episode 140, I think it is. Um, and yeah, a little bit of a different lineup for the main show this week. Uh, just literally when we were counting down 3-2-1 for the thing in the uh, editing or the, the filming software we used back. Asked me if it was a main or a extra show it is a main show and we've got a bit of a different lineup for a main show this week um unfortunately daniel and rob are not around they're not available um so i am joined by mac johnson uh extra cannon podcast host to dissect the leeds win mac what are you saying uh i'm doing all right you know having a good time it is it's a pleasure to be on as always and yeah it is a bit of a different lineup um, I do always enjoy the opportunity to chat with you and, and to be back on the main show for the first time in a while. Um, it's been a busy life and, you know, it's a shame that neither Rob nor Daniel can be here. Um, and in general condolences to Rob as well. Um, his grandmother just passed. And so, yeah, we're giving him the time and the space that he needs. Hopefully we can get him back on soon, but of course, best wishes to him and his family that I think takes precedence above any football result um but in terms of you know stepping back into things excited to talk about leads maybe touch on last week's bodo glimpse showdown a little as well if we really need to um because we didn't do a post pod for that but yeah in general the less said about that game the better yeah honestly it was just a bit of a mess wasn't it um and i think there is so much to unpack with leads that we don't really need to but in general just again happy to be on happy to be chatting with you and we're top of the league and clear by the day. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, I'll second everything you said there. Uh, condolences to Rob um, and his family. And yeah, hope that's, hope he's doing well. Um, yeah, there was a, there was a point in that second half, Mac, where I almost just thought this might not, this maybe this is our year, the way it was going. Um, we should have lost that game. This is the first game this season where I think we didn't play our football. We were the worst, the second best team in the game. Um, we were out XG'd. We were out shot. We were out pretty much everything. If you look at the data, I think we marginally had more possession, but I think a lot of that was in the first half when we dominated the possession. Um, yeah, it was a very poor second half and we'll get into that. We'll get into the first half as well, because I think the first half, there were some good elements to our game. Um, but you can't play well um, every game. There's going to be games where you don't play your football, even in a title win. And normally, a lot of the time when people say, oh, winning ugly is a really positive thing, because imagine what you could do when you don't play well. I think generally that stands true if you win ugly on the rare occasion like if this is if this is becoming a trend then we're going in the wrong direction if this is an anomaly of a performance um which can happen you can have off days the players which clearly looked a bit jaded from the um trip to norway in midweek then you can live with it and it's positive that you get the points when you don't play well before we sort of get more into the game would you how would you feel about that sort of ugly winning side of things um and yeah do do you do you think it says anything towards our mentality or do you think this was basically just a uh a case of leads 
poor finishing and Ramsdale heroics? I think, I mean, first of all, to talk about kind of its position as as a tie, as an ugly win. Um, thinking ugly wins always reminds me of our time under Unai Emery, where we had that 22-match unbeaten streak and everyone was all freaking out about it. I mean, okay, yes, enough of those were draws that, okay, fair enough. But also there was kind of this hysteria and P- and the the general thought of like well listen calm down it's unsustainable that was you know a run of ugly not losses a lot of ugly wins a lot of ugly ties but it was g- generally ugly scrappy um i think if you were to base this performance against leeds off of our last season's results this is one of those wins that would probably mark the start of a downtick in form, you know, of those kind of three to four match losing slides that we used to have. If you compare it to this season's form, it is that first kind of category. It's an anomaly, right? And I think that, I don't know. For me, I thought that Ellen Road right now, really tough place to travel. Leads are high impact, high octane, high energy. They are not playing in Europe. Um, they are, you know, they kind of had all the tools to really come out and give us a show. And the fact that we dominated a half is a credit to the growth of us. The fact that they really, frankly, should have done more with their chances, with the penalties. Um, I won't say they got unlucky for the Gabrielle one because he was fouled first. But like on the run of play, and especially with how the second half went, Leeds probably deserved to win that game. Um, but to answer my question as to where it falls, it's going to be about 50-50. I don't think that this result is indicative of us kind of hitting a losing slide, but I also don't think it's, you know, an outlier in terms of our season. We are still not a fully perfect team. Um, And though it will take moments of luck like this for a team like Arsenal to, you know, top the table still to kind of continue in those veins of form. I also think that you can't entirely pin it on just oh tiredness from a thursday in norway um i think the lack that depth of winger is really starting to impact a little bit um and i also think that we could you know the fact that neither of our first choice left backs is currently fit at all does have some impact as much as tomiyasu is a very good player i think just the dependency that we have on either Tierney or zinchenko and kind of their ability to really support that left side um, would have been more helpful because Arsenal were very right-sided even when they were dominant in this game. Um, and they've been, you know, kind of very good on the left this year, but I'll let you go. I've been rambling for a while. I want to kind of get your thoughts as well. Yeah. See, if this game had come uh, off the back of a series of performances that were kind of like this, where we sort of scrapped out results, right. or, we, or, we, or we were fifth, for example, and the football hadn't been that great this season. We'd had a few good performances, but a lot of it was sort of like this, sort of marginal games. Then I'd be a lot more concerned, but the fact it's come, you know, we've said in sort of every podcast this season when we've been consistently excellent, we need to be aware and we need to be considerate of the fact that, you know, a drop-off in form and performance level will come eventually, and it's come in this game, um, and we can't now go... Well, this is absolutely dis- disgraceful, which we're not, obviously. Um, it was just an off day. Um, and there's a lot of factors uh, to do with that. Partly, I think Leeds were good. Um, there's a tendency to to focus on, you know, our deficiencies. But sometimes you can just 
say some of the stuff they did, they packed the middle of the pitch very well. Uh, they pressed us very high up the pitch. When we tried to play out through the sides, they blocked the passing lanes, particularly for Tomiyasu. They targeted that side. Um, and you mentioned Tomiyasu there. He did, of course, have the option to bring in Tieran Tierney. He obviously brought him on later in the game. Um, but I think he wanted to keep that continuity of what worked against Liverpool. We spoke about uh, myself and Rob and Daniel last week in that Liverpool game that it was a very specific tactical uh, Liverpool present a specific tactical, um, you know, threat down that side with Salah and Trent, um, and the way to combat that was playing Tommy Asu on that side to lock out, lock down Trent and liberate Martinelli to get in behind um, Trent. Um, I think I said, yeah, Tommy Asu locked down Salah. That's what I'm yeah, um, yeah, I got you. And we did that, yeah. Uh, but for this game, I think in hindsight we can all agree it was a game for Kieran Tierney. I think Tommy Asu received the ball in several positions where he couldn't quite. It's a very different skill, sort of. I know he's good with his left foot, but sort of curling a pass down the line, an accurate pass, or drilling a pass in field with your left foot is a very different skill to sort of cutting in on on your left when you're in a right back position and sort of clipping it, if you know what I mean. And there's a lot of occasions where it didn't look too comfortable on that side, and it sort of inhibited our, our ball progression a bit. I think. Um, but yeah, oh, just on the, before we get into the first half, uh, people always say when you grind out results like this, um, you know, it's a result of great mentality. Um, the team dug in, um, they're res- resilient. How much do you buy into that? Because I, I, I often think, yeah, some of those soft factors are somewhat true. But I think in a game where Leeds had the chances they had, you know, if they just take two of those chances, no one's talking about those things. Um, or if Ramsdale's not as good as he was, you know, how how much do you buy into that soft factor element? Or do you just think that sort of fans trying to justify that sort of performance? I think there are soft factor elements that I buy into, to kind of use your term. But I think that those soft factor elements tend to be more based in the concentration part of the game right um you know based in not only following tactical instructions but kind of really sticking with a role sticking with a position and not losing your head um and in terms of mentality as well kind of you know i do have a small belief in players with big game mentalities you know players who tend to thrive in tough spots or who might disappear under a spotlight whatever you want right um I think in this game against Leeds, they don't apply as much for me. Um, you know, yes, there are some kind of you can say, oh, the mentality is good. Aaron Ramsdale, the dude's got a serious big game mentality. He comes up when it matters, right? He is a perfect example of where that does. Gabrielle almost undid us. You know, he tends to be a little shakier when the pressure's really on him. Someone like Rob Holding, kind of that transition to a back five that did allow us to soak up more pressure. Um that's a switch that's worked really well. And it's because holding kind of fits that role, the way he plays, the way he likes to play his style of performance really fits a little more of a low block, something defensive, really kind of stout and physical and scrappy. Um, There are elements to all of that. 
And I think, you know, a couple of the decisions Arteta made rolled with that. Uh, pulling off Saka, I often think late in the game, if we're defending really hard, having him at right wing isn't the greatest. That's when his pressing intensity, I feel like, falls off a bit. There's a lot of different ways to structure that. But I think that on this one, the biggest contributing factor to Arsenal's win was just a little bit of luck in the right places, which we have not seen in a long time. And I think more than any emotional factor or kind of strength and resilience of the team, yes, this team did very well to come out with a result at Elland Road when we did not deserve to. And individual performances should be partially accredited for that. But honestly, sometimes you just get lucky. And that is okay. Like, and apart from the obvious ones. To win exactly. the title, 100% to do. Probably not, but I'm optimistic. We're points ahead. But I mean, it, it's one of those cases where, you know, Patrick Bamford missing a penalty. Did Ram still have it covered? Yeah, he dove to the right side. Is it borderline if Bamford hits the bottom corner? Maybe. But the Gabriel decision, was it a foul? Yes. Is it lucky that we have a technology system in the game that, you know, reviews those and only for goals? Yes. Was that a big issue raised in the City Liverpool match this week? Absolutely, because of the way the game was refereed. But like, you know, that's lucky. But then looking at things like Crescencio Somerville's miss, where he's set back on a perfect tee by Brendan Aronson and just slips a little bit and lifts the ball too high and gets under it, right? You can call that, oh, his head's not in the game. He's not focused. He has to score. That's also really bad luck. Players were slipping all over the place in that match. Like it was genuinely, you know, I don't want to bring out the we mustn't forget that it's been raining. But like at the same time, it was kind of a case of, things did went our way and did not go Leeds way. And that's just how it is. It's a frustration that we have faced as Arsenal fans in the opposite direction for years now. And I think to an extent form does beget some luck. It's something that city fans have complained about with Liverpool for years and something that Liverpool fans have complained about with city for years because they've been the two dominant sides. But, you know, just to see us get a piece of luck, I think is at least a little gratifying in my mind because those things yes eventually might even out but at the same time sides in form have better luck and it is something that i think we are finally reaping the rewards of yeah and you mentioned the uh var coming to our savior and i guess that comes to uh what happened at the start of the game um a minute in the refs realized they don't have uh communication with var um, so thank God they fixed that. There were a lot of people on Twitter saying, and I remember Rob said it in the group chat, oh, I'll just play on without VAR, you know what I mean? There's a pretty key reason why that can't be the case because of sort of integrity of the, the sport in terms of if every other game in the Premier League season played with VAR and we didn't, it would sort of, um, it would go to the arbitration of sport and there'd be investigations because that's not, that that destroys the integrity a bit. As much as I got the the sentiment behind those claims. Um, and yeah, we had a half an hour. Uh, it was for half an hour to 40 minutes um, in which the players should have been playing and they weren't. Do you think that, because th- uh, there's a lot of talk about how players, um, their routine is quite key to their performance. And particularly for an Arsenal team that likes to come out of the blocks quickly this season, we've really started games well. Do you think that had any impact on sort of a slightly sluggish start to the game? I think yes and no. And before I answer that, I'm going to touch on the VAR point quickly because I agree. Um, I think so much of the discussion around VAR 
has to do with nostalgia, has to do with times that even we can remember, Alf, where technology just did not impact the game at all. I mean, it was the what? The 2014 World Cup was the first time they trialed goal line technology, right? Um, But just to that point, I think there is a question of equality and a question of look at the issues that were solved in this game by technology. It was a VAR review that made sure that Leeds did not get a second penalty because of a foul in the buildup. And, you know, I hate the hypothetical, but if that doesn't happen, if that question isn't able to be asked and therefore is unanswerable, kind of that is where the integrity and the fairness goes out of the window. And a lot of the American commentators were touching on that really heavily and kind of repeatedly. Um, But to that point about the slow start, yeah, I do think it incorporated itself. I think that leads were more keyed up for the occasion after that. It felt like they came out of the block stronger. Um, And, you know, something we learned over COVID or whatever is that whole like 20th minute kind of portion of the game where patterns tend to start ironing themselves out and the game settles into a rhythm it almost felt like that rhythm was never established. And I think the delay is one of the kind of potential reasons for that in my mind. So yeah, I don't, I'm not, you know, I don't want to make an excuse or blame it on anything because frankly, there's nothing to blame. We still won, but I do think it took us longer to really make the foothold in the game that we were trying to implement than it should have, or than we normally would. Yeah. Let's talk about that first half in general, because I think, I think going into the break, we just about merited our our lead. It was quite a close first half. I think there were some good things in it. Um, there some lovely patterns of play, some lovely moves, um, like two or three really good moves. I thought the way we built out and played around the Leeds press at times was excellent. Um, we did a lot of uh, sort of intricate play down one side. Uh, and then quickly sh- shifting it across the other side of the pitch when we've taken a few players out and there's a lot of space on the other side of the pitch, whether that be through a direct switch or play or a couple passes across the pitch, um, which led to some really dangerous moments with the, the opposite winger, whether it was Sack or Martinelli, whichever side. It was. It tended to be the intricate play on the right side and then leading to Martinelli with a lot of space on the left side. He didn't always use it well enough. Um, if he had, we might have made more of it, but... Yeah, it would, it, there were some nice patterns of play. We didn't really allow Leeds too much in that first half. I think they had one all right chance from a set piece where it was a bit of a scramble. Um, and I think Strauch had a quick little sh- dig shot and then uh, Ramsdale palmed it out. Um, but the first half, I mean, we were, we were denied an insane goal when we had that sort of incredible move, uh, which involved Jesus, involved Odegaard, involved Shaka. Um, and Jesus got fouled and then he poked the ball to Martinelli. And, you know, if the ref allows the advantage, Martinelli's through on goal and he might have scored what would have been one of the greatest all-time team goals we've seen. Um, but yeah, what, what? how did you feel about the first half generally? I mean, it is the type of dominance that we have come to expect from Arsenal this season in that it's a little quieter than you might get from something like a Manchester City. You know, Leeds had the ability to play and to kind of build down the wings as they did. Um, Sinister and Aronson were both scary on the day, and Harrison did a really good job of pulling strings in the middle. But we really did a good job of restricting those chances, of recycling the ball well, and of playing to Leeds' weaknesses. 
especially to their lack of speed at the wide back areas. Um, you know, particularly a left back, I think. Yeah, Saka I mean, against yeah. um, Strouk was Stroke, Yeah, and I mean, yeah. Rasmus Christensen is quite quick, but doesn't tend to be good at flipping on the inside shoulder. And I think we tried to play more vertical than Martinelli as well, which I enjoyed. But just generally, um, I agree with you. I think the first half really just showed the type of dominance that we're able to culture. Um, I do think that that Martinelli advantage should have stood uh, off the Gabriel Jesus foul because I, uh, I mean, I've never seen build-up play from us that's quite that good. It's reminiscent of you know, that one Leicester goal. Um, but yeah, just in general, I think that there is, you know, something to be said for the way that we dominated. Um, yes, it took us like kind of longer to grow into the game. But yeah, I, I think that in general, um, that first half merited more than we got from it. But also leads were staunch in some really key areas. And did a better job of restricting our midfield than I think a lot of teams have this year. That Roca Adams pivot is really hard to get around. Yeah, I still think Odegaard was very effective in that first half. I think he's probably our best player. I think he had some really nice touches. He was at the heart of some of those nice moves. He created the goal. Um, I don't not sure, not sure what Rodrigo was doing um, with that <laughs> attempted switch of play, uh, but he tried it and then. We won the header. I think Saka won the header to Odegaard. Odegaard beautifully weighted ball. And the, the part, the finish from Saka is exquisite. Um, f- on his weaker right foot from that angle to get it past Melier, the power which he generates. I know that generally you say, well, they say if you're on your weaker foot, um, if you're on your weaker foot, it's not about sort of a cultured, nice finessed finish it's more about just getting your foot through and he did that there his fourth goal in a week his output is really starting to explode now i saw rob tweet about that um and yeah anything on the goal yeah i mean it was it was beautiful really there's no other kind of way to get around it um amazing finish amazing ball from odegaard great pressure up high i think the reason rodrigo plays that ball if you look at kind of some of the freeze frames from that moment is that Thomas Partey and Xhaka have this little double like stack band going on. That means that Rodrigo, what he wants to do is do what Saka does to Odegaard quite often and kind of slip that ball inwards, little disguised pass. Um, he can't. And Jesus and Martinelli have come over and covered Christensen and Adams. So his only option is to either like flip it back to a center back, which is a really hard pass, especially if you underweight it, which he was because his momentum was shifting to the right or um, kind of to play something cross-field, either try to find a midfielder or really just clear it to the far side. Um, and he went for the full beans and hit it pretty poorly, so fair enough. But nothing to take away from the goal. Um, the finish from Saka is something quite like we've never seen before because his finishing tends to be a little bit more precise, a little bit more placement-based. A little, It's into the bottom corner, right? And something that I've kind of wanted to see from him in the evolution of his game is just to really start absolutely wellying the ball. I mean, he had that one against Newcastle last year where he danced inside off the ball from Tavares and just thundered it into the bottom corner. And like, there is something of, you know, 
the the kind of big game player. It's something I've seen a lot from to go back to Manchester City again from Phil Foden in his development is that he's become so much more comfortable not only shooting with his right but really finding things like low angle shots or low percentage looks and kind of testing the keeper. And I think Saka in the past couple of years has been excellent, but sometimes I think he plays in a way that makes it seem like he is going for perfect. And that is often the enemy of a good chance that he wants to create. He might dance for a touch too long or look for the perfect opening to shoot on his left. I think that type of opportunistic finishing, that type of power. um, I remember Daniel typing in the chat that Melier kind of, you know, wasn't the greatest goalkeeper. And there's all of the old adages about protecting your new post, but that type of just smashed ball roof of the net over the head of the goalkeeper in a time when they are setting themselves, expecting something low, because that is what kind of history has taught them to expect with the way the Premier League works and with, you know, classic finishes from that position. I think it's it's a lovely bit of improvisation, but it shows just how much he is developing as a player still. Um, and that's, I think, the main thing on the goal. It, re- it was spectacular for all of the reasons that it was a great goal, but also because it shows a really interesting rounding to Saka's game that we really haven't seen much of before and that I would very much like to see more of in the future. Yeah, you know what reminded me of? Um, we, we, we saw it a little bit from Aubameyang, I think a few times. We saw that sort of near post roof of the net short. Yeah. I remember certain goals. Well, there was the one against on. Valencia. That's, um, yes, I was going to say that. There yeah. was one at home against Burnley, I remember. Yep. Where he sort of fired um, into the roof of the... He scored a few like that, and that was... Yeah. yeah. Lacazette as well had that one. His was more that he would get it on the back and swivel and kind of have that near post, yeah. but he reached the call. Yep, yeah. the Cardiff one. Chelsea. I think there might have been one against Chelsea was the other. God damn it. <laughs> You've got a variety, but yeah. Um, definitely was reminiscent of that, although the ball from Odegaard, I mean, he was sublime on the day. Um. Well, I think he was yeah. he was pretty, you know, he was fluent and he was metronomic right. in the first half. I think in the second half he faded massively. I, I agree. Although his presence on the ball, I think, lessened with possession. He was still pressing. His He had high intensity. I mean, I think it's very hard to find a player with that engine combined with the creativity. Um, that's something I really just have appreciated about him of late. But also, he played a lot of the match against Bodo Glimt in a fixture that he might not have, you know, had to have started had we not had zero midfielders at the club right now. But, you know, I think it it does come down to the fact that Odegaard is also best in positions when we are dominating games and in possession and where he can feel more fluid. And I think it's quite hard to do that in your own in your own third. So I don't necessarily blame him for fading, but yeah, I, I do think that he really had a great first half. Yeah. And as we've said, it it wasn't like our best first half of the season, but it was, you know, it was competent. I thought, you know, after the first goal, we'd, we'd start to push on. We didn't really do that. I thought the first half an hour was probably our best period of the game. Um, after that, we it sort of <laughs> felt like we forgot to score after that. And we, uh, but I thought at half time we'll sort of settle down, we'll come back out and we'll probably add the second didn't really uh, go that way, but there were some other good moments that first half. There was a Jesus chance at the back post, um, a really nice ball across from Martinelli. That was the end of another move, which uh, sort of uh, represented the theme of that sort of intricate build-up down one side, then the quick switch to the other, with the player has so much space, and Martinelli found Shaq, Shaq with a dummy, 
Odegaard sort of back heeled it. He tried to dig it. He sort of got caught under his feet, but he managed a lovely little back heel type pass into Jesus. And I think it's a difficult chance for Jesus. Um, he probably should score, but at the same time, the way Melier closes the angle, he basically only can score from dinking it. Um, and it's quite a hard dink to get it up and over from that close range. And he slightly got the finish wrong. Um, but that was probably our only other particularly great chance. Odegaard had a few shots um, from outside the box, one from a free kick. Leeds were, didn't do that much in the first half. Second half, I want to know what you thought changed specifically, whether you thought it was just fatigue or whether they're more tactical things. I personally, I think the, the introduction of Bamford gave them a different dimension with that movement in behind. But what do you think changed that made our performance go from sort of respectable, not like our absolute fluent best, but you know, we were in the game was pretty even. We were probably slightly the better side too. Leeds completely controlling that second half. We lost all sense of control and it was our worst half of the season. I think one of the things that really developed in the game was Bamford's introduction in two senses. Um, Rodrigo is a good player, but he relies, I think, really heavily on his speed and his quickness and kind of finding little pockets. Um, Bamford brings control to the game. He brings, you know, more ability and really kind of the chance to challenge central defenders. Um, and though I think he's just Bamford's yeah. just more of an out and out striker, isn't he? Rodrigo right. likes to peel yeah. off. He plays wide sometimes, and that's my exact kind of point. Um, in the first half, Leeds throughout the match were trying to create wide overloads, and oftentimes, especially on their left side. Saliba would be called out to help with those, and of course, being his normal composed self would do very well. But with the introduction of Bamford, I think his presence, and early in the second half, if you watch the replay, they kind of start their feeding in balls. They essentially make our center backs think about him, right? They make it so that we can no longer kind of abandon, in a certain sense, the center of the pitch. Um, a lot of their real key moments early in that second half came through the center. And then as soon as we kind of swarmed to adjust to that, they started powering out wide again. And I think it, it, it was this interesting, you know, tactical di dynamism where wherever we would cover one option, they would find the other. It was really mature from Leeds. I think it was honestly, one of the reasons I say that they deserve to come away with more is because it was not a tactical masterclass because frankly they didn't really switch tactics they just introduced a weapon that put our players in a split mind put our players you know should i cover wide should i drop in kind of the center and especially as a rhythm breaker i think bamford did a really good job of you know you say you expected us to come out and score a second yeah so did i but we weren't able to establish the same types of rhythms because the patterns Leeds were playing were very different. Bamford, funnily enough, is also significantly better at dropping deeper, at linking up play. He was a much better outlet for when they did kind of get pinned back than Rodrigo was. And I think that also just helped them, helped Leeds, I should say, establish more of a feeling of control in the game. Um, and that in and of itself kind of breeds confidence and, you know, tends to cause teams to play better. Um, I think that was one thing. I also think that we just 
got stuck in a little bit of an uncreative rut, even when we would kind of go up the other side of the field, we were getting frustrated. A lot of the chances we were trying to create weren't really coming off. And I think those two things in combination really serve to flip the tide. Yeah, and I definitely think a lot of uh, sloppiness crept into our play. We spoke about it last week uh, in the first half against Liverpool. Um, you know, sloppiness can often be infectious. Um, if one player gives the ball away, all of a sudden, particularly in away games, I feel like more people start giving the ball away and then we become less certain and definitive in our passing. I think Leeds's pressing was more effective in the second half. I don't know whether they changed anything particularly because I think the whole game they were they were looking to you know pack that central area and make us go wide and then when we go wide they'd have one player swarm on the fullback and we couldn't play out through our fullbacks which is largely uh, was normally a huge part of the way we progressed the ball. Um, and we just really saw very little from the likes of Jesus um, and Saka and Martinelli just in the second half in general. We couldn't Absolutely. get the ball to them. Yeah, we couldn't get the ball to them. And yeah, I definitely think fatigue was definitely an impact, uh, a factor. I think obviously you said earlier, Leeds don't have European football, of course. So they had a full week to rest. Southampton won't have that next week because they play midweek. Um, and a lot of those players had just travelled to the Arctic Circle and played on, on an artificial pitch just a few days prior and had to come back and then travel up to the north of England. You know, they, they definitely looked jaded in that half. Um, and Leeds were able to win the ball high up the pitch and cause us problems in, ter- in transition, I thought. As you said earlier, Aronson, Sinistera, Harrison, they were all quite neat um, on the ball. And it was Bamford's movement in the hind that, that really did cause us problems. They had a goal ruled out, which again, I saw Rob say on Twitter that he thought that that was pretty, you know, 50-50. That goal could have been given. I think it's a foul quite clearly. I think Bamford shoves Gabriel pretty much and he takes it. I don't think that should be a goal. They had another few good chances. Another one for Bamford when he went through on goal. Ramsell spread himself expertly. Um, yeah, I forgot about that save. That was excellent. Yeah, yeah they had two. Think, yeah, they had two of those, and Ramsdale was excellent. Then they had they yep. had the the chance they skied um, with Sinistera. Um, no, sorry, it was Somerville, wasn't it? Um, yep. Yeah. Uh, and the penalty, uh, which was initially not given, and then they went up the other end. My heart was in my mouth. I was like, as soon as you know, players gone on, and then all of a sudden. Uh, Chris Kavanagh decides he's going to go and look at the monitor. You know it's a penalty, um, and yeah, it was. It was a handball. It was a handball, but there was an offside in the build-up. Yeah, which which was simply not called. But yeah, I think, and that's been one of my things with VAR generally. Um, I remember, you know, referees used to kind of go to the monitor and that would be the sign of them actually checking it. Now, if a referee goes to the monitor, it's almost a guarantee that it will get reversed. Um, I don't think in this season even, but before that, I've seen a referee go to the monitor and (laughs) actually stick with the originally called decision. Um, If you can think of an example, please prove me wrong. But no, I think the the handball against Saliba was a handball um, to an extent. I would ask him what you want to do with a ball that is looping over his back shoulder that he's entirely blind to that then proceeds to drop onto his hand. But 
again, you know, I'm not entirely mad about it being a penalty. I think it was deserving of it, given the prevalence of the Leeds press and how close they were to scoring as a result, kind of, and would have had a much better chance were it not for the handball intervention. So I understand it reasonably. But yeah, I think that that really was our biggest slice of luck in Bamford missing that penalty. Um, although Ramsdale on the day, there were some, what was the one? Um, even the, the one where he spread himself was amazing, but he had one where he got down low to his right on yeah, that, that was little tap in the gems. first yeah. half. The, yeah. the Strauch one from the set piece. Yeah, it was a scramble. No, exactly. Yeah. But even that I think was in my mind, almost his best save of the match. Um, because it's so hard to commit your body to that. And yeah, I think just, in general... Just on yeah, Ramsdale's no, shot stopping. Sorry. Uh, oh, yeah. I, saw, I saw Scott um, put out that on his model, the Leeds had 1.8 post-shot XG, which means he basically denied Leeds scoring two goals with his shot stopping alone. Which, you know, in and of itself, kind of crazy. Like, like that's a lot. <laughs> um, so, it yeah. is, And it's a metric he ended up being not that great at last season. Right. I mean, he had that amazing run of form in September and October, but I think had a little bit of a downtick in maybe some of his heroics. It's That is the type of metric that has made Nick Pope so good at what he does. He is unbelievable when it comes to preventing goals, even if he's not the most consistent in a lot of the other areas of his game. Um, so yeah, it was, it was you know gratifying to see Ramsdale have a performance like that, but no, just in general, um, Leeds had the better of the second half, the better of the opportunities, and I do, yeah, I just want to mention as well, one performance that I do think stood out was Thomas Partey. I don't want to compliment him too much, but he shook a habit that he's had often of being a little bit negligent when kind of he's in that little positional role in front of the back line. Um, I think sometimes he can fall asleep on runners, and his not doing that was one of the main reasons that they didn't have more because there were a couple of very good cutback chances that were kind of bobbled around slightly, but that did often fall to Partey or Odegaard to clear. And I think his you know positional sense there was one of the main reasons why Leeds didn't have their center mids more involved in the game. I mean, I know Mark Roca took a couple of pot shots, but like those late runs are something that have been very powerful for them this season, and we did a good job of stopping those. Yeah, I thought he was good in the defensive side of the game. I thought second half he struggled on the ball. Like they really targeted yeah, the rest of the was, was on him when he was on the ball. And it's been I feel like it's been a while since we've had an out and out number ten playing against us. I might be wrong. Can't remember one. Um and who was just sort of sitting on Partey and preventing him us from playing through him in that second half. Um and yeah. There was obviously then the dramatic last minute moment. Um, <laughs> honestly, I was watching it with two mates uh, and I couldn't believe it when they gave it. I was like, what the, f- how on earth yeah. are we potentially going to drop two points from that? The ball would trickled through at Ramsdale had it in his gloves. And then there's some sort of on the, off the ball scuffle that we don't really see. And then, they give Gabrielle the red card um, and I'm absolutely losing. I'm like, how are we actually? I was fuming at Gabrielle at the moment. And then they showed the replay and I was like, okay, fuck Bamford, to be honest, because he fouls him 
first off. It's it's a pointless bit of shithousery. I mean, what Gabrielle should be doing in that situation, we're going to get into the Gabrielle performance after this because I thought he was really good, actually. Um, oh, totally agreed. <laughs> exactly. Um, but this moment was sort of, it felt like, oh, this is going to boil people over because they're beginning a little bit frustrated with some of his antics, some of his mistakes in recent weeks. Um, and this moment will sort of cap that off, even though, and it will scar what I think has been a great performance. That would be the perception of him potentially producing a moment of madness. Um, what he should have done is he should have used the moment as shithousery in the last minute. He should have sort of started rolling around on the floor and ha- acting like Bamford had like broken his leg or something. Um, instead, he tries to get up and he, I don't think he does kick out at Bamford. It's quite hard to tell by the no, angles. No, I agree. It's quite hard to tell by the angles, but he doesn't keep his legs fully down. Like they're sort of pointlessly too high, which gives the ref or the, the linesman who gave it something, a decision to make. Um, but it was ultimately irrelevant because Bamford pushed him in the first place and it would have been a massive injustice and thank God for VAR. I'm not sure what the linesman was thinking uh, to give a decision like that because he can't have been sure. Um, no. And yeah. I think on that as well, to look at the incident on slow motion and to see like there were two kind of incidents of maybe Gabrielle lashes out. The first is when he's like initially on his back and his right leg is like tickling Bamford's wrist. And there's no kicking motion. First off, to clarify, he does not extend that leg at all. This is not like a Harry Maguire getting fallen on studs to the nuts kind of deal, which first of all, he still didn't get a red card for. And I can't believe that to this day, but um, kind of, you know, it, and then there's the second action where like Bamford has kind of stumbled over him and maybe it, there's like a thought that he might have kicked out at his ankle, which again, I don't think he did, right? There wasn't anything in there that was deserving of a red card except for the linesman to really be like, yeah, I think he's fully, you know, gone in here, which you'll see on the replay. He doesn't, but it's the type of situation that I I think if it had been given, you're right, it would have written off like a wonderful performance, but I think it would also cement this narrative that's starting to occur about Gabriel, that he just has a really stupid moment in him. Like he just has hot-headed moments. Um, and he is uh, he's yeah. a 24-year-old centre-back. I think exactly. uh, Daniel said it last week. You know, that you will have these moments at that age playing as a centre-back in, at the highest level, you don't see it that often. Um, we talk about Saliba's cold-headedness um, and how calm and composed he is. He's a freak. Most players at that age aren't like that. Um, and you're right. It is a feature of his personality, which I think can have positives, but they can also have negatives, the fieriness. Um, and that... Yeah. It, it In the end, it wasn't dumb because it didn't cost us, but it had the potential to be very stupid. And I think that that is the main issue. But to get on to his main performance, um, I thought he was really imperious on the day. His passing, first of all, was excellent where it really hasn't been. Um, he did a good job aerially and kind of of, make, of timing his challenges at the right time. I think sometimes he can get a little over-aggressive and lunge in. Sometimes he can be a little under-aggressive. And I think kind of that perfect sense of timing is, again, something that we often compliment William Saliba for that he doesn't have as much. 
um, he being Gabrielle. But I think he either he's been taking notes or watching film or something because he really did step up that aspect of his game, which I appreciated very much. Yeah, I thought he was better than Saliba in this game. I thought in the first half we saw Saliba, uh, how crucial he is to us in the build-up. You know, his passing is exceptional. Some of the passes, I was like, wow, the perfect weight, the way he punched it to the player. Um, And you look at all the stats and Saliba consistently has significantly more passes than anyone else. And he passes at a very high pass accuracy and a lot of them are progressive. Yeah. In this game, however, I think the defensive side of the game, Gabriel was the better player. I think there were a few moments in the second half when Leeds were piling pressure on us that I think Saliba demonstrated a little bit of rawness that we haven't seen that much this season in certain positional aspects. Um, whilst Gabriel, I think, is a better backs to the wall defender. Like he's, you know, if we're sitting back a bit and under pressure, I think I'd have more, I, I trust Gabriel more. Um, whereas when it comes to us playing our normal football and we're in the halfway line and it's sort of sweeping up in foot races, I trust Saliba more. Um, something I think Gabriel does really well is well at, um, is really good at, if that makes sense. Uh, and it's reflected if you see there was a Gabriel compilation of this game going around. And it's something you just, you'd notice once it's pointed out. When an opponent's gets into the penalty area in a really dangerous position and they're sort of shaping for a shot. He's really good at just sniffing it out by using his body and it just sort of comes yes. up. A lot of the time it sort of rolls through to Ramsdale and he picks it up. Like the way that he... There's like that goalkeeping technique of spreading himself as you noted with Ramsdale. Gabriel has a way of making his body mass like when he gets low to the ground and will like crouch one leg and spread the other. I mean, it's, it's exactly what you're referencing. I've seen the compilation, but he's very good at just being imposing. And, you know, we've seen it in moments like Liverpool last year where he'll go down for one of those. And if the other, uh, you know, if the opponent has enough guile and like Jota did in that one moment, he'll fake a shot ball roll and make him look like an idiot, right? Did the same thing to Ramsdale, fine, whatever. But I absolutely agree. Um, and to, to shout out some other defenders as well, before we get back to Gabriel, I thought Ben White was better than Saliba yesterday as well. I thought Ben White had a very good game. Um, I, th- I thought he was actually quite yeah. decent. Yeah. And then I was listening like to Oscar Vision, and they were, they were actually criticizing him a bit. I do th- I do think there were some moments where he was caught out positionally. Uh, That's true. Fine, and he didn't have the stamina to get back. And normally his le- athleticism is one of his best things, but he looked a bit tired. But I thought in the first half, he was involved in a lot of that sort of intricate, nice build-up play down the right. No, 100%. And I think as well, um, his defensive contributions, I think were one of the reasons why they started targeting Tomiyasu on the far side. Um, And actually, there's a really interesting graphic that I've seen recently um, that kind of looks at all the teams in the Prem about, I forget what the name of the statistic is, but it essentially has to do with like area dominance and about controlling, you know, fifty-five percent or more of the ball in a certain area on average. Is it field tilt? It is no, it's not field tilt. Um, it's not like to do with the thirds. It's like overall sectors. There's, you know, I think it's like three wide the, and yes, the the areas of the pitch where we yes. like who has control of the like the exactly. opponent or you, yeah, right. And there is one for Arsenal 
that is like directly above that left back position where the opponents have had more control. It's kind of like, it's been like their own box and then that one little corner and that's been our weakness. And I think clearly somebody's starting to sniff it out because as soon as I remember Sinistera kept trying to come down the left and Ben White kind of kept sniffing it out and on a couple of occasions, like tracked him all the way across the field, um, especially in the first half. But I think they really did target that hole in part because Tomiyasu is slightly less confident there. I do agree, though, about Ben White's positioning. Um, and frankly, I would put it down to an o- over-enthusiasm. Like, I think he's really starting to feel this wingback rollout a little bit more in terms of his attacking. I think especially that there's been a ball that they've started doing that is like very Man City-esque where someone will get it on the corner of the box and play that little like inverted pass where it'll actually be diagonal towards the goal behind the wing back and kind of having Ben White sprinting around. That's been a play we've started using recently and it works really well. But I do think that he might have, he got a little overzealous for me and then I think did tucker himself out. Uh, he definitely looked tired when he came off. So yeah, that that's my Ben White spiel. Yeah. Um, trying to think what else i was gonna say has something planned yeah tomiyasu we spoke about uh a bit earlier just didn't look comfortable on the left when he received the ball i think defensively he was pretty fine to be honest he normally is um and that did hinder us in the ball progression on that side we spoke about ramsdale's excellent performance um i think he commanded his box excellently as well there are a few set pieces where leads look dangerous and he swept up a few times there's one brilliant punch out um Spec out Partey, Shaka. I think this was probably his worst performance of the season. I think in the first half, there were some all right moments, but most of the time, a lot of his, you know, he likes to attack that half space with his runs and he just wasn't really getting any joy in that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and Jesus, I think, is the one we need to talk about. He wasn't on it today, and whether or not he was fully i don't know what his preparation for this game was because he didn't fly out to norway um he might have just had maybe one training session before it since the liverpool game and he didn't look right um you know as we've said drop-offs in form can happen and he could just have one you know he's not going to be excellent every game this is his first game for arsenal where i think he's not been excellent he was but he he, he struggled to impose himself um, when he got onto the ball, he didn't hold on to it very well. thought he still worked very hard, but yeah, we just didn't see any of... There was one or two nice touches uh, in that brilliant move we had, but apart from that, we didn't see any of his, his sort of elusiveness on the ball, the way he dribbles, you know. It was an off day for him. Um, at the same time, he still managed to get a good goal-scoring opportunity. Um, yeah, any thoughts on the, the Jesus performance? Yeah, I think nothing more than what you said, really. Um, Didn't really look at the races. Had good moments, but not really an overall contribution to the game. I think one thing that should be noted is how often he was dropping deep, but almost in like an Alexandra Lacazette kind of way, like dropping into the field to play alongside Thomas Partey. Um, Do you think maybe uh, Arteta was thinking back to when we thrashed them 4-1? I do. I think... I think he'd been asked to. Um, the thing about yeah. that was that was a Bielsa side. Um, it was very man marking based. Yeah, it was a lot, a very was, different side to Jesse Marsh. 
yeah, that was another thing I was going to mention about the, the, the Leeds performance and the way they play generally. They are one of the most, I haven't looked at the stats, but they are one of the most, if not the most tackling team, tackly team in the in the league. Um, they made 34 tackles in this game. We normally get about 14, and I think we make sort of a league league average. Um, there's clearly an instruction. Yeah, it is. There's clearly an obstruction um, from Jesse Marsh that when you get the opportunity, go in for a tackle. Don't sort of shocky. Uh, sometimes you might get beat, but you know the reward from doing that, and they did that exceptionally throughout the game. Their tackling was excellent. A lot of the time, it, it meant we couldn't play out, and they was it resulted in turnovers. Um, and they did that to Jesus. They were really aggressive and really tight with him, the two centre-backs. Um, and then when he was dropping off, Yeah, hundred uh, percent. I didn't know. I sorry. I thought you had more to say. Um, no, you're totally right. I think this is one of the games where Eddie and Ketia should have been introduced earlier. I think I his running, yeah, yeah, his his style is quite different from Jesus, but I love it still. Um, I think once the game kind of stepped away from you know the intricate, frankly, prettier elements and into a place where we needed sure the pressing intensity and the running and the speed and everything that Eddie brings to the game. But also he is really hard to tackle because he doesn't tend to dribble. Like it might be a silly thing to say, but one of his best attributes is his ability to latch onto the end of a pass, make a decision and then operate on it. He doesn't, like, and he's quite good at dribbling when he does off the left flank if he's playing out wide or whatever it might be. But I think his first instinct is to get the ball and to immediately do something. And whatever that might be, I think that sort of element of his game would have served us better if introduced earlier. But that's that's just my two cents on Eddie. Yeah, I think it was clear from, I mean, by half time probably, but, you know, getting a bit of time off that. But maybe, you know, looking at the hour mark, 70 minutes it's not Jesus's day get someone else on get Eddie on to run the channels um hold on to the ball better and you know that could have helped us retain possession a bit helped us relieve the defense with his runs into the channels but I think that sub came maybe 10 minutes too late I think the rest of the subs made sense I like the fact that Odegaard will come off in that just because he's the captain it doesn't Agreed. mean he can stay off he doesn't mean he has to stay on every minute you know when Arteta recognizes that towards the end of the game this is not an on the ball game we need players who do more off the ball because um, most of our Odegaard's good work is on the ball you know we need someone who can fly over and transition more he opted for the sub and he brought on Vieira um, Tierney again potentially could have come on earlier we needed that source of ball progression um, and you know ability to go down the line and take the ball across your body on that left hand side earlier yeah um and the other subs, uh, we obviously, we did the holding thing. Um, and that was another thing. The, it was the first time we were forced to, I think we may have brought holding on once more, but it was the first sort of game that represent, that we had a, quite a few of last season where it was holding 3-5-2, sharp shop. Um, and the fact that that's come in the 10th game is encouraging because we don't really want to be doing right. that in games. Um, but we saw it out and yeah, Liverpool beat... Manchester City deservedly. Um, we speak about Man City's sort of incredibleness. I know Leeds and Liverpool aren't quite um, comparable, but 
Liverpool. Why uh, not? Leeds have beat Leeds have beaten Chelsea this year. It's true. But Liverpool had almost double Manchester City's XG. I think they did. Yeah. So it happens to Man City as well. Um, so that's just you know. But we won our game. So four points clear. The title race is on. Well, me, me and Rob and Danny spoke about it, and then me and Rob we've been speaking about it for a few weeks now. Um, and I think the players have to take it game by game. Um, but us fans can dream. And I think if we get through these next sort of three, four games before the World Cup with, you know, if we were to get 10 points from the last four games before the World Cup, we are in a very, very nice position heading into that tournament. Who do we play in those last four games, Alf? Remind me. So it's the next two is Southampton and Forest, who are both very poor at the moment. That's got to be six points. No doubt. Um, obviously, we've got to negotiate the PSV double legs in between those. So that's sure. difficult. But that's fine. Um, yeah. Uh, and then it's Chelsea and Wolves. So, yeah. Molyneux will be a difficult trip, but they've been very poor this season. They're managerless. So who knows about that? And Chelsea will obviously be the big test. Have you heard they're trying to get, or potentially trying to get Nuno back? Wolves are. I did see that because I think they wanted Lopetegui, but uh, he didn't want to go. And he said no. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that those are good opportunities for points. Um, I would definitely be comfortable with 10, although, you know, you never know. I mean, it's Chelsea at the Emirates, which bodes well for us in terms of recent form. Wolves at Molyneux is difficult. Saints. Saints are one of those teams that I never really tend to to count out. They feel like a walking 1-1 draw to me. Um, so I, honestly, I'll be happy. If it's at St. Mary's especially, I'll be happy. Um, Forest, we should. Yeah, Forest, we should. Um, but. Yeah, we should definitely beat Forest at the Emirates. Um thing about Southampton is at the start of the season, I was like, oh, they're surprisingly quite exciting. They're very young. Um, they've got Lavia. They're very, got, very young. They are. They've, they're younger than us. Well, their starting eleven is. I don't think their overall squad is. Um, but they've got Bella Kotrup, um, Lavia, and now yeah. those players are injured, um, and all of a sudden they don't look quite as exciting. And their results have been very poor recently. It's got to be three points there. Hundred um, percent. It's got to be at least. I'm going to say if we want to be in a title conversation going to the World Cup, we've got to get 10. Um, that is, and you know, we know how hectic will be post-World Cup. Um, but yeah, I'm optimistic. Any final words, Mackie? Yeah, I think into the World Cup is going to be important. I think out of the World Cup is also going to be important. This league could entirely change face. So yeah, one game at a time. Let's let's rock PSV at the midweek, I think. It is, yes, 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 yes. I'm right. Um yeah, it is, you know, oh to be a gooner. It is it is a happy time in the life of an Arsenal fan right now, and certainly mine. Uh, it's been a pleasure hopping on the pod. It's been a pleasure having you, Mac. Um, and we'll be, we will be back again next week, hopefully. And maybe maybe an ECP after PSV, who knows? I'll be at the Emirates for that game. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and yeah, if you've enjoyed, please like the podcast share it um leave a review and you know the views have been very good recently i've been getting some nice messages actually from on instagram so if you enjoyed it you know 
it makes makes our day when we get nice messages about the podcast. It's it's very heartwarming for us. Um, so yeah, please praise us, please. Um, yeah, marketing opportunity of a lifetime, Mac. <laughs> Don't know what that was. Uh, let's go for. She didn't win it, but um, she did place second overall. Uh, our, our very own Beth Mead. If if this was a camera episode, I would go grab my my new Arsenal kit. Um, I'm repping the pink one this season, the the third kit. I think it's beautiful. Um, I've also grown very fond of the like not official badge, just the cannon thing that we've been doing. Um, but I digress. Yeah, um, I you know I've got Beth Mead nine and the WSL on my kit this year stepped out of the men's team for the first time it's it's awesome um because i think she deserves a lot of credit uh there i saw a tweet earlier that was you know she might not have won it uh alexia puteas won and fair enough she's the best player in women's football but um in terms of the ballon d'or femini you know beth mead did everything she could she got the golden boot at the euros she was arsenal's top scorer this past season player of the season second in the league by a point undefeated so far this season Arsenal women are on the up, and Beth Mead especially deserves so much of the credit for that. So, you know, shout out Mido, shout out uh, Midama, who is also linked, and just in general, if you ever get the chance to watch an Arsenal women's game, please do. They are so much fun. Um, so yeah, that's my marketing opportunity. Uh, over to you, Elf. Sell me something. Well, I'd second all of that, uh, and big up Mido for that. Uh and also we love your article at Cody K. Go and check out my article from last week on Ben White, um, which I wrote. Um and how good he's been. Um and yeah, we need a song, Mac. Well don't put this one on me, man. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Um uh, th- there there was an oh crap somewhere in the middle of there. I hate selecting these. Uh <laughs> Anything that we can, we Last can week do, do with leads, um, yeah, by Kanye, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not sure there is anything to do with leads. To be honest, I'm trying to figure it out. Um, well, hmm. like ugly win. <laughs> is that a song? <laughs> ugly victory okay. at Ellery, Ellen Road. <laughs> um. Play ugly. I don't know, man. I'm, I'm, I'm on Spotify right now. Boy. Um, do random. Oh. Should I do random song generator? Yeah, go ahead then. See, see what we're looking at. Random song generator. Right. Generate. Lights down low by Max. Featuring yes, that's, that's a tune, you know. I'm happy I with that. I know what that is. What is that? It's not a bad song. Uh, let me see. I think I've got it on my Spotify like somewhere. How do, how do we link that to Arsenal? <laughs> um, mm, how do we link that to Arsenal? We should, we should put the lights down low, yeah, for uh, Thursday night. And 100%. Just... It's one of those, it's that, it's that pre match moment of adrenaline. Um, I think it'll probably be more relatable to anyone who likes American sports, but you know, sometimes it's just, it's that big build up to a big finish. Um, when the lights come down and 
kind of zeroing in on that intensity. And that's what, that's what we've got to do to to come out with maximum points before this World Cup break. So, so that's yeah. my rule. Maximum points. Yeah. Ah, there we go. All right. God. Yeah. All right, we'll take that. Yeah, that'll run. <laughs> yeah. Well, this uh, has been the Arsenal Cannon Podcast, episode 140. Pleasure. Um, thank you, Mac. You can follow him on Twitter at MacJohnson22152. He's uh, got it right. I've got it right. And you follow me at Alfie Coleshaw on Twitter. And you can leave a like, share. And we'll see you after PSV, maybe. Hopefully. On my heart where you rest in your head. Looks so beautiful It's like you were an angel Can I stop the flow of time? Or can I swim in your divine? Cause I don't think I'd ever leave this place like j-lo tell me what you want from me i'll do it if you say so because you're the only one for me i'm never gonna say no i found me an angel i can see it in your halo have you ever dreamt what we could do have you ever sent an i love you i've never felt the feelings that i feel for you so maybe we could make a we of me and you I'ma treat you right tonight, let's make it last forever I promise you that no one else will ever treat you better And if you don't believe me, please see, I don't need no effort All you gotta do is flip that switch before we bed up Oh, turn the lights, turn the lights